0: You're listening to the Law Careers Net Podcast, a monthly podcast designed to give you everything you need to know about becoming a lawyer. Hello and welcome back to the Law Careers Net Podcast, sponsored by the University of Law. My name is Bethany and I am the host of the Law Careers Net Podcast. In this month's episode, I speak to Demi Rickson, who is an aspiring solicitor, former paralegal and the acting vice chair of the Law Society's Lawyers with Disabilities Division we had a very interesting conversation about what it's like to enter the legal profession as a disabled candidate and where the legal profession and the legal graduate recruitment system is falling short. I'll give you a hint, it's in quite a few areas. If you're an aspiring lawyer or you're already working in the legal profession, you'll definitely want to hear what Demi has to say, especially about how disability is continually missed off many law firms' diversity and inclusion practices. There's lots to get through. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Debbie and welcome to the Law Careers Network podcast. Thank you very much for coming on today and speaking with us. Would you like to start by introducing yourself?
1: Yes. So, as you say, my name is Demi, and I graduated in 2018 from law at Montfort University. And after graduating, I decided I wanted to gain practical legal work experience to help boost my training contract applications. So I worked as a real estate paralegal at both global and regional law law firms and I now work as an IT training consultant working on legal technology. In February this year I recently started studying the LPC and Masters part-time at BPP in Birmingham and I would like to qualify as a solicitor And I have a particular interest in employment or technology law, uh, but I'm still open to ideas. And yeah, I'm also the acting vice chair of the Lawyers with Disabilities Division of the Law Society of England and Wales. And I'll say the LDD for short to help save on time. (laughs) And I also run the Instagram account called The Abled Lawyer,
0: which I have recently set up. Great and we have got um, lots of things to get through today lots of things to chat and we're really kind of happy to have you on here sharing your experiences but I guess we could start um, if you if you're happy um, with you sharing your experiences of applying to law firms and legal roles as a disabled candidate how did that go for you.
1: Yeah, so I've always chosen to disclose my disability on applications because I know I need reasonable adjustments. I knew I needed them at university, so therefore I knew I needed them in my working environment. However, I must say like disclosure is always a personal choice and it's not mandatory and candidates can choose to disclose at any point during the application. So I've never had any issues when disclosing on application forms. But unfortunately, I have had issues with disclosure during interviews. For instance, I have been asked, how did I get a first class honours if you're disabled? From how do you have an allotment? How do you even dig? Which a reply innocently saying, I have a boyfriend for that, uh, which I don't don't think was widely (laughs) appreciated. But (laughs) and then from problems with interviews. And then whilst trying to search for legal roles, I also have problems with recruiters as well. I found that I was being weeded out by them and not being put forward for the roles. So although those are negative experiences, I have learned a lot from them. For instance, with the interviews, I kind of have a mindset now is of interviews are not the place for you to do your research or for you to Better understand disability, and I think if I am asked those questions, what does it say about the firm? How adequate is their DNI training? And is this the place where I want to work? If they feel if they feel that they can ask me that in an interview, what will it be like during employment? So will I be able to bring my true self to work? So yeah, that's in a nutshell the
0: experience I've had applying. <laughs> There's clearly a lot that needs to change yeah. um, in terms of kind of graduate legal recruitment and recruitment in general. And you know, that's all the way through the process. That's from attracting disabled candidates to the firm, making them feel like they're, you know, welcome and, and inclusive, you know, in the workplace. There's obviously the issues you've spoken about interviewing and assessing candidates. And then obviously going into um, into the workplace is also retaining mm-hmm. um, people with disabilities in the workplace and making them feel like that, that is a place where they can, as you said, bring bring their true selves and be themselves at work. So, you know, lots of areas to cover. But I wonder if you could kind of talk generally about what needs to change in recruitment from from your experiences that you've that you've um, been through. So in recruitment, so
1: the Law Society and the Lawyers with Disabilities Division, in partnership with Dr uh, Debbie Foster and Natasha Hurst from Cardiff University, we produced the Legally Disabled Research, which is the first comprehensive research of its its kind to document the experiences of disabled people working in the profession. And in that research, they found that only 9% of those surveyed felt that they were happy with external recruiters. So when law firms are using external recruiters, they need to check that they aren't weeding out candidates based on their characteristics. So ensure, just ask them and ensure that they're having the appropriate diversity and inclusion training and that they're a al- lot, the recruiters are aligned with your diversity and inclusion initiatives and what you want to attract. And also to attract disabled candidates, I would say, include us in your diversity and inclusion discussions. And I speak about this a lot. I know that when we in law firms, I look a lot at diversity and inclusion strategies on the firm's websites and what initiatives they're doing. And a lot of the time disability isn't included. One thing that I would say is if you're not as strong on disability or if you're just starting out the discussions, tell us that. Tell us you're looking at disability and you're researching what initiatives or if you want to put a network in place. So at least I know you're working on it and there'll be something there in future. Also, which can help attract disabled candidates is dedicated work experience schemes for disabled students. And I think a big one for me would be part-time training
0: contracts. I think it's really interesting what, what you were talking about just there, um, and also what we've spoken about before. You recently came um, and gay, and are on a panel of kind of diverse candidates, um, and we we had a, an event with law firm recruiters. And what you said there was very interesting about the idea of disability often being left off the kind of diversity and inclusion agenda and just before we started recording you you were saying you know you had experience of of thinking of applying to a law firm a really big law firm checking their website being like yes this is great what I want to do and then you checked their kind of diversity um, initiatives and there wasn't anything there that kind of showed you they actually took took accepting and and including um, disabled candidates as seriously so you Mm. know you know you, you said that law firms can kind of say what they're planning to do or you know talk about future plans but it's not really good enough is it that they're just being you're being left off you know in terms of thinking about diversity.
1: Yes. I think for me to say please just tell us that you're thinking about us, that is clearly a middle ground just for a, the fact that I'm yearning just to be put on the website or to know that you are thinking of us. But ideally yes, no you shouldn't be leaving us off. You should if you're having initiatives and creating certain policies or creating a network what is the reasons you're leaving out disability? There shouldn't be them. And when I do look at a firm's website, I do, I go look to their diversity and inclusion initiatives because after my ex- experiences, which unfortunately have been negative, I now know that I need to pick a firm for me that has the right culture, that will support my career and its progression, but at the same time, my disability, because I have to respect that, that I need a supportive and inclusive environment where my disability isn't an issue and, and and yeah, like like you said, so the other day I, I saw a really good article written by quite a big leading law firm and it was on technology. So I have an interest in technology law. And I thought, right, great. Let me go look at their technology sector. What kind of work do they do? And I thought, brilliant. After reading that, I want to apply for you. And I then went to their diversity and inclusion step page. And there was nothing on disability. And instantly I went, right, I'm not applying for you because you're one of the leading law firms. Why? Why are you leaving us out? Like, are you not even us? Do you have disabled employees working for you? Are you trying to attract us to the industry? So, yeah, it is a really big thing. And I feel quite strongly about it because it just oh, I can't describe it. It's such a like gut wrench. I think that's the way to say it. it's the gut. It's a gut wrenching feeling because, we have to fight quite a lot in our lives anyway, for, the, for me personally, like the right medical treatment, you know, accessibility in, in general terms. Like if I go to a restaurant, is it accessible for my wheelchair? And it's such a hard feeling that I have to fight for the right to work or to even be there or for my rights to be adequately looked at and responded to. And it's just another thing where you just think, oh, I just want to work somewhere where they will appreciate me and support me.
0: And once you have applied to a law firm, there's obviously you um, mm-hmm. a bit briefly before about the kind of processes, the application, the interview processes, you know, how can law firms support disabled candidates and disabled students through those processes? What you can do to support disabled
1: candidates is, at the beginning of the initial stages, have a named point of contact from the early stages of application for reasonable adjustments and office tours. I know that a lot of law firms and organisations are doing that, but more than just having a named point of contact, state what reasonable adjustments that you've put in place for other candidates before. For instance, my condition I know what I, the adjustments I needed at university. And now after working for a couple of years, I know what I need at work in an office environment. However, I don't know what I need for as a reasonable adjustment during the application process. So if you just give me a list of what you've put in place before and say we're happy to talk to you about different rates and adjustments and whether they will be suited to your condition that will make me more inclined to email you and say okay yeah I have this what is best what's your what's your past experience it just creates like a sort of comfortable more approachable for me
0: and now a short message from our podcast sponsor the University of Law The University of Law will help you reach your ambitions by delivering an outstanding academic and employment-focused experience, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. As soon as you begin your studies with the University of Law, you'll learn how to think and act like a lawyer. Whether your aspirations are in law or other fields, their courses will balance academic rigour and practical skills, so your career starts from day one. Find out more about studying at the University of Law with the link in the podcast description. So I know you've had, um, unfortunately, negative experiences when applying to law firms and going through the process, but you also have an experience of having, you know, got, it, got on your foot into the door and, and, and working in a law firm. Um, and then you also then kind of had negative experiences about um, how supportive that environment was. So would you like to talk a little bit more about that and the idea of retaining and supporting people long term? Yeah. So
1: one thing that I learned from this experience was I have my reasonable adjustments in place, um, which are physical adjustments that can be made to the office environment. But what I learned was it goes beyond reasonable adjustments. It's about supporting me every day in work and my line managers supporting me and understanding how my disability affects me and what how that can affect certain tasks. I think there needs to be an open line of communication between your trainee or paralegal or anyone really and your line manager and you need to build that trust from the beginning and I'm not saying to people tell them everything tell them every symptom you have of your condition because that can be quite uncomfortable and I personally wouldn't do that but I have a great understanding of how my condition affects me daily and I now know how long it will take me to do a certain task or how much longer it might take me if I had a flare-up of symptoms that day and to be able to work with that, I need to be able to communicate in order to meet those deadlines. And I need flexibility as well to manage my condition and my work. So I need to be able to tell my manager that and my those who I'm working with to say, look, this may take me longer. But if there's no relationship built there and, and no open line of communication from the beginning, I'm sort of put in an uncomfortable position where I, I can't tell you what's happening in that day or I feel even more pressure to just power through ignore my symptoms and just produce this piece of work but now I've learned that the reason why I'm so saying no it needs to be from the beginning is because powering through not listening to my body does it harm and now if I acknowledge what my symptoms are or if something needs to take me longer I'm actually producing better work and it just makes me feel feel more at ease in an environment with my managers where they're just so supportive
0: exactly surely the aim of any good manager is to make sure that they're kind of getting the most and and you know that their their employees are feeling most comfortable and most supported to produce the best quality work so that it's kind of just logical and it makes sense yeah
1: and I think upon hindsight now the reason why at first you know it's not a nice experience to go through but now I understand that they need proper training on disability um, inclusion and if you are how to hire someone who is disabled, but then it's ongoing. How do you support someone who is disabled? And I think in one of the the articles that I've written for the Law Society is creating a disclosure strategy in terms of application, how and when do you want to disclose? But also I'm going to use that for when I start a new role, hopefully one day be a trainee. So I'm going to look at what I want to disclose, have a think about what affects me every day and what tasks it may affect me, because then I've got a written document and then I'm not leading myself down an uncomfortable sort of path where I'm disclosing too much but and it's praying it to be more practical so that that will help me then with my managers
0: it sounds like the kind of whole whole way through a lot of the issues are just to do with communication um and as you said it's not meaning meaning that you have to tell everyone everything but it's the communication from the firm of of what of what's available and what they can do and what they're intending to do and you know their plans it's communication throughout you know yeah. the whole recruitment process of of how you can be supported and you know reasonable adjustment, adjustments and then once you start its communication it's ongoing it doesn't it doesn't end <laughs> it has to yeah. keep going you know in any good kind of any good manager knows that you have to keep talking communication you know, gets gets the, the best out yeah. of employees also it's allowing people to feel comfortable talking about it's not just you know people with disabilities but people talking to people with disabilities as well to make sure that everyone feels like they're equipped to kind of um have these conversations comfortably and in a very kind of supportive and productive way
1: I completely agree with you there that communication is key and regardless whether you're disabled or not every person in a job needs to be able to communicate with their manager because life throws different things like every day there's a different thing that is thrown at you that you need to be able to be flexible with and work around but you need that support from your line manager to create a path to get through that day or jump over that hurdle but I think what for me in my experience what went wrong was they believe reasonable adjustments is just physical adjustments and that's it we're leaving you there you're done now and it's not it's it's an ongoing thing and and also when you talk about um creating a positive environment, you need, I agree with that because there's a high percentage of people who don't disclose. So a lot of the time, you've got people working in in your organisation or law firm who are there, who've got hidden disabilities, who feel may feel like they're not ready to disclose or don't feel like it's a supportive environment. So I, I talk a lot about like micro affirmations. So if you give your line managers and the people leading the organisation appropriate disability training to start putting the micro affirmations out there to put, create a positive environment where people may feel like, oh, OK, oh, actually, I feel like I, I can disclose and, and bring this to work.
0: Great. Let's move on. Um, because I know you've mentioned your work with the Law Society and the LDD. So can you tell us a bit more about, about your work with them and, and the sorts of things you've been working on?
1: Oh yes, yeah. So I joined in September 2019 as a committee member and last year I became the active vice chair in June, yeah June, June time. So the LDD, we promote equal opportunities for people with disabilities within the legal profession and we encourage solicitors to use their experience and expertise to support aspiring solicitors or colleagues seeking to progress in the legal sector and we also provide an opportunity for those working in the legal sector to make their voice heard to the law society local law societies, the profession, the government and other key policymakers. So a bit about what we've been working on. As I've just mentioned, we produced the Legally Disabled Research Project with the Law Society and Dr Debbie Foster, Natasha Hurst. And this research documents the experiences of disabled people working in the profession. And it also gives recommendations on how law firms and organisations can make changes to promote better inclusion of disabled people and it's really interesting because it's split between getting in the profession and getting on and upwards so it is a really good read and I'd encourage anyone to read it. (laughs) Based on this research we've produced an Easy Wins document and it's a document which we've developed And it gives suggestions on how firms can make positive changes to improve disability inclusion. So it's more practical advice. It's not saying you you should be doing this if you're not, you're wrong. It's more simply questions to get discussions going and starting points for further work. So if you're a law firm thinking about disability, but you don't know where to start, the document supports firms starting or improving the process of understanding barriers and it shows you how you can take steps to embed disability equality into policies or procedures and organisational culture and what I like about it is as well it's split into smaller law firms guidance and larger law firm guidance and then what we're most recently working on at the moment is we're producing reasonable adjustment guidance for law firms and organisations to use and that will be later this summer. That will be coming out.
0: We'll put some links in the podcast description uh, for anyone who's interested in, in reading more about that because there's lots of great resources online, isn't there?
1: Yeah, thank you. And oh, I actually should mention it's free to join the division. So you can sign up via My Law Society online. And when you set up, once you've set up your account or if you've already got an account, look at your diversity and inclusion interests in account settings and then you'll receive our regular newsletters.
0: Great! How do you think the pandemic has affected diversity and the career prospects for disabled candidates?
1: Yeah, so I'll speak about my experience first. For me, it's had a positive impact. So virtual work experiences and virtual law fairs have made it accessible to me. And I've noticed that I'm attending more events now than I ever could as a student, as an undergrad student. And actually, only recently, I I remember going down to an event in London because that's where most of them were held for me. Um, I struggled with standing around because there was no seats. And I remember standing around hunting for a chair so that they weren't accessible environments and I came home and I it took me about two or three days to recover from pain so I stopped going to those events because I thought well I can't do it it's just the two or three days is taking me out of university so now I've been going to so many events it's brilliant Um, and also remote working before the pandemic I worked as a paralegal in a nine-to-five office environment and remote working wasn't an option for me and actually the legally disabled research said that remote working was the most requested and highly refused reasonable adjustment for the pandemic and then in my current role I moved completely remote remote based so before before the pandemic and within two weeks I went well why a lawyers not working like this I can work it's brilliant I can manage my condition I can work at them full time so now there's been a big shift on remote working or agile or flexible working being put in job descriptions. So that's really positive for me because that's taken a big burden off that I don't have to negotiate in future why I should be allowed to work from home. I don't have to say, look, I need this as a reasonable adjustment to manage my condition, which is nothing wrong with saying that. But I don't have to discuss that now. It's just accepted as standard. But that's just my personal experience. Um, one thing I should say is that the pandemic hasn't been great for all disabilities, and it has created some difficulties for certain disabilities, especially with the use of technology um, and what accessibility features it gives. So when thinking of future working envi- environments, think of hybrid working and treat everybody as an individual and don't assume every every disability is the same and can be treated the same or the reasonable adjustments are all the same because they're not so even though the pandemic remote working is better I've noticed and a lot of junior roles so paralegals they're still expected to go into the office to carry out paperwork and administrative tasks because they're junior and it feels as though the law firms are expecting that they have to go in there to build the trust but it puts them in a difficult situation because so for instance for me my doctor said I was vulnerable I'm in category six so I can't say yes and go into the office at the time when it was a second wave or a third wave so it's just advice to law firms do they really need to be going into the office to do those admin tasks start thinking creatively because I've noticed that there's a lot of yeah flexible working for the upper levels and trainees but the junior paralegals and that no you still have to go in that puts a disabled person in a potentially risky position yeah and then lastly with different technologies I think it's because obviously everyone did a shift to online sort of pretty much overnight and now the I see law firms and organisations, they're sort of getting into the gist of it and are considering different technologies going forward. Think of accessibility features first when you're thinking of new tech. It can be costly to alter your technology afterwards to make it more accessible. And accessible tech can benefit all employees. But not only that, do it for those employees who haven't disclosed yet. That's my
0: advice. That's brilliant advice. Are you listening legal profession, please? (laughs) All all very, very good um, points. So thank you so much. My kind of final question for you is what would you say to any student out there who's listening, who has a disability and they're thinking about pursuing a legal career? What would be your advice? So my advice would be,
1: so I base my advice on what I wish I was told. So I I was heavily supported. I'm really lucky to say by my family and my friends and university during my undergraduate degree, but when I entered the profession, I encountered barriers and had negative experience in relation to my disability. And I just didn't know that existed. So my advice would be to say the profession isn't perfect. And there's still a long way to go to be truly inclusive for disabled people. And yeah, that's not my advice, because I would rather have been forewarned. So I'm quite practical. Um, I I know you can't predict the future, but I wish I could have known that there's issues with disclosure. Some people have, or there's how do you get reasonable adjustments? How does that look? What is the actual process? So you may encounter barriers, which I really hope you don't. However, keep going. And if you want to be a lawyer, don't let anyone stop you. And always remember that. And it might sound like, oh, that's easier said than done, which I would agree with you. And I think if I heard that advice whilst I was encountering those negative barriers, I would have thought the same. But although I faced barriers, it's led me to choosing the right firm for me and my disability. And now I'm really careful on who I apply for. And I feel so better now. Because I've got such a clear sight on who I know will be brilliant to work for. And also I'd advise to join groups such as the Lawyers with Disabilities Division and find support and advice and meet those who are in a similar situation. Look at groups that are out there already um, from early on, because I didn't do this until after graduation. I didn't know there was groups out there. So get advice as early on as you can. My second piece I'd say is access to work. They're brilliant, it's the best kept secret. In any new job, always ring access to work. So what they are, they're a government service who can you can speak to and they give you an independent advisor and recommend reasonable adjustments you can use for your office environment. And it can be kept confidential. Your employer does know if you disclose to them that you have got a disability, but they don't need to know the ins and outs. So I have always used access to work, they're brilliant. So, yeah, use access to work. That's
0: the main thing. A huge thank you to Demi for chatting with me and sharing her experiences and advice. As Demi said, open lines of communication are really important in all aspects of diversity and inclusion. Talking about these issues is the first step, but there's certainly a lot more to be done. I'll put some further reading and guidance in the podcast description. So if you are interested, you can read more. If you are an aspiring lawyer from an underrepresented background and you'd like to talk about your experiences of pursuing a legal career, just drop us a DM on social media or you can email us at info at lawcareers.net. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for this month's episode. We are busy planning our podcast content for the 2021 to 2022 academic year, so if there is a particular topic we should be covering or a person we should be speaking to, please get in touch. As ever, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.